we didn't even have a scripture reading because I'm just going to read through it as as uh, as I go through it. Um, as we've prayed as elders, uh, what God would have us teach. Um, we plan to start a series, but we're going to wait until September 11th um, uh, after all vacations are done and and uh, everyone kind of settles into their fall schedules. And uh, and we're going to call that uh, the Covenant series. And uh, we intend to dive into our church covenant piece by piece in order for all of us to gain a deeper understanding of why we do uh, what we believe the Lord has called us to do as members of LHBC. Now, if you're thinking, like, didn't we do that before? Well, we haven't. We, about four years ago, maybe, or so, we, we did do a series um, on the doctrines of what we believe um, from the uh, church constitution, but we... We never dug into the church covenant piece by piece. And so it's completely different. Uh, but we're excited about it because we felt like um, in anticipation of, of God providing that, a new building for us, uh, we felt like this would be a great preparation for us as a church uh, family. Um, and Lord willing, we will get that building. So just keep remembering to pray that God will cause everything to, to fall into place there. And, um, and that God would provide us a physical base of operations. And uh, I call it a base of operations because I don't, I don't want us to see it as like a, a resting place or a final resting place. It's not, it's not a graveyard, but uh, God, God calls the church to three things. He says the church is a family, the church is an army, and the church is a body. And um, I think that we need to see the new building as a base of operations because we're a people on a mission. And so uh, let that be our, our base. So in the interim, uh, in case you're wondering, uh, to close out the summer uh, season here, we're going to go through the book of Ruth in four weeks, um, four chapters, one chapter a week. Um, so the messages will only be about three hours each. And, um, and then we will have a Sunday service. Okay, so... Sunday service, so don't come here on Saturday, September 4th, because on September 5th, we're going to do a Sunday outdoor service at Bennett Park, shelter number one in Liberty, and, um, and we're, we'll probably send out something later this week about what time we, we have, talk about that, probably 10, 30, 11, or something. Some, we'll probably start at a time where we can have... Uh, a service time and then we'll talk about people what food and drink to bring and then we'll just kind of like we used to do at Smithville Lake okay so um, so that's going to be September 5th and then the next uh, Saturday after that will be September 11th we'll kick off that covenant series so um, today's message uh, I actually have a title I don't have a big idea you'll probably notice I'm Always a guy that doesn't have a big idea. Because I, I have several ideas. So I don't ever have a big idea. Um, uh, but it's called Hope in the Hard Times. And, um, and we're going to see some tremendously hard times here in Ruth 1. Particularly in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Orpah, who were her daughters-in-law. And I think in a quick reading of Ruth, it's... it's I mean... I was just thinking that we talked about doing this, and and I read through it, uh, you know, a number of times. I think my knee-jerk reaction has always been to just be judgmental towards Naomi, 
And, and uh, so I think it's, I don't know where you guys are on that, but I think it's easy for us to judge Naomi and criticize her responses to hard times. Um, and yet I'm not sure that many of us have ever been through as dark of an experience as she did. Um, I know I've not come close to anything that she experienced. Um, I know that there's many in this room uh, that uh, have and may still be experiencing very difficult times. Um, uh, and I'm not, it's not about comparing Naomi's hard times to our hard times, um, but rather being able to step back and see why we can and should have hope even in the hard times. And, um, and, and that's just kind of like one of the first lessons is, you know, as we as the body of Christ go through hard times, um, we really shouldn't compare hard times. Someone might have a hangnail and to them that's a really hard time. You know, maybe someone else is like, are you serious? But that's not how we should approach it. You know, I mean, someone, I'm kind of being stupid there, but um, it's just that different people respond to things differently as to what's hard for them and, and their circumstances. Um, but like I said, the, the goal here is to step back and see why we can and should have hope even in the hard times. So my goal for today's message is to hopefully provide that hope. Hope in the dark times. Hope when we cannot physically see with our eyes or even imagine in our minds how God could redeem a variety of difficult and difficult, difficult and dark circumstances that we often find ourselves in during different periods of our lives. I mean, I think Naomi was to the point where she, she just couldn't imagine how anything was going to change. Um, so don't be too hard on Naomi, but let's see what we can learn from her story. Um, Romans 15, 4, Paul says this, For whatever was written in former times was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. I think that's, that's an awesome verse. I mean, really, if you think about it, all the things that God provided us in his word were written that we might have hope, including Ruth chapter 1. And we're going to see in Ruth 1 a real world, I call it just daily life stuff, story of pain and suffering. But through it all, we're going to see clues of how God is at work in it and how it is part of the larger biblical story of the redemption of mankind. And I can't wait till we get to the end and I can share some things I learned this week. Actually, I've never known before. I just through studying, I, I discovered some things and I was like, Again, it was one of those wow moments where God just wows you with, of course, it's, it's God. I mean, who, who, else would have, who else would have thought this up? I mean, this is, again, I always come back to, I don't know how someone could not believe in God. It's, it astounds me. But we are going to see God's faithful hand, which is sometimes hard to see, especially when you're in the midst of trials, Right? But nonetheless, whose faithful hand is always at work. Um, and the book of Ruth, not unlike the story of Joseph, gives us a glimpse of God's work during the worst of times. You know, both Joseph and Ruth, I mean, Naomi were experiencing very difficult times. that lasted for long periods. Um, but God's hand was always at work. Um, 
I'm going to break it up into three sections. The first section I'm going to call from bad to worse. Second section, the turning point. And the third section, from bad to blessed. So starting with from bad to worse. And, and uh, you might want to have your Bibles open to, to Ruth, because at one point we're going to read most of it. But for starters, I'm just going to start here with verses 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So we start off by knowing that it was in the days when the judges ruled. And to give us a clue of, of uh, what life was like then, which uh, just for the context sake, this was a, a 400 year period after Israel entered the promised land um, and before there were any kings in Israel. And uh, the very last verse in, in Judges 21-25 describes it this way. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And um, so the pattern for the Israelites during those 400 years uh, went something like this. The people would sin. Um, God would send enemies against them. Uh, their lives would become miserable. The people would cry out to God for help. And then God would mercifully raise up a judge to deliver them. Just like shampoo, rinse, repeat. And uh, so that happened over and over again in the book of Judges. And, um, but God was there. You know, God, God didn't leave his people. And so the next thing we see here is that there was a famine in the land. Well, who had control over the famine? Well, God did. And uh, even in, in, the, in the Old Testament, we saw that famines typically were a circumstance of the people of God's disobedience, and God used them to open the door of opportunity for repentance and change. Now, it doesn't tell us how long this famine had been going on, whether it just started, whether it had been going on for years, or, 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 or how long they were, they were suffering in this famine. Um, but I want us to, to understand that uh, it's kind of like you, you, we just read this story, actually just the first little paragraph in your Bible that says Naomi widowed. All of those things happening to her takes a matter of one minute to read. And I don't think we get the full grasp of how horrible that could be, you know, and, and we don't even understand. I don't think any of us have lived through a famine, unless you have, I don't know. But uh, um, just that alone, you know, we just read how there was a famine. We don't even know what that's like. I mean, it could have been terrible. People begging for food or, 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 or eating you know, bugs or whatever they could find. I don't know. Um, but the, the other thing about famines is um, that we see in the Old Testament is that um, sometimes uh, during famines, uh, God was working through famines uh, for the movement of people. 
I mean, people would move around during famines. For example, famine drove Abraham to Egypt. Famine drove Isaac to the land of the Philistines. And famine drove Jacob and his entire family to Egypt. So, um, you know, these circumstances happened and, and people were moving around. So if the people of God do not end up in Egypt, then you have no exodus. So similarly, in our passage today, we see that it was famine that drove Naomi to end up in Moab. And if Naomi does not end up in Moab, then you have no King David. So right or wrong, Elimelech moved his family to Moab because of the famine. And it doesn't really say um, it, what, what the reason why. And uh, But, you know, in studying this week, many commentators classify Elimelech's moving his family to Moab as as he was running away from God. Um, that may be true. I, I don't know. But um, it doesn't explicitly say that that's why he went to Moab. It, it, it could be that he, he just moved because as a husband with a survival instinct for his family, he was trying to find food. Um, I mean, you see, I mean, that's me making a out-of-the-air reason that he could have moved. So... Um, we don't know, but God just wants us to know that they ended up in Moab. Um, so it's already a difficult season that Naomi and her husband find themselves in. Um, and because of that famine, they decide to leave family and friends in their hometown of Bethlehem to seek a place where they can survive. And, and, and we, um, I, again, we, we don't really think about that much, but, um, if we had to leave family and friends to move to a foreign country, that would be a gut-wrenching, um, a gut-wrenching decision for us. I mean, it would be very difficult to leave family and friends, and I don't know if they had any idea whether they were going to come back or not. Um, so I think an application here, uh, just from uh, these first couple um, verses, is. Um, yeah, I just want to make sure I didn't miss a verse here. Um, but I think an application is sometimes when when the pressures of life are bearing down on us, uh, we can make life-altering decisions that have implications downstream that we might not take into account um, and, and we can't foresee. Um, and supposing, just supposing Elimelech's move to Moab was the wrong decision, if you're simply looking at it from a right or wrong perspective. Let's just say it was the wrong thing for him to do. I think then a question that we need to answer is this. Is God providential over things that happen in our lives and in our family's lives due to our poor decisions? Well, I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. Because have we not all made poor decisions? But I have seen God continue to work in my life and redeem even my poor decisions. Um, I'm not saying that I get out of the consequences. Um, do I have to suffer those due to my bad decisions? Um, almost 100% of the time. Uh, sometimes I have it. Sometimes, you know, God graciously does something and I'm like, wow, I didn't have to suffer a consequence for that bad decision. God, thank you for your grace. Um, uh, but God was always working behind the scenes to continue to fulfill his purposes in my life and even the lives of those around me when my bad decisions have affected others. 
Because sometimes our bad decisions don't just affect me, they affect others around us. And I really want us to be encouraged by, by this today because we need to be able to trust in the character of God despite our weaknesses. And I don't want anyone to ever think that the sin of your past means there is no hope for your future. Um, and, and even though we make decisions that affect others and we think, oh, that was a bad decision and I feel terrible at how it affected others, God can redeem those situations. God can still work to fulfill his purposes. Um, verse 3 says this, But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So now Elimelech dies. Again, they, they certainly did not foresee that coming. Um, so now on top of the heartbreak of leaving family and friends to be foreigners in a foreign land, uh, the tragedy piles on with her husband dying. And, um, you know, if, if we moved to a foreign land, at least, you know, we would think, well, we at least have each other, honey. You know, we can, we, we can lean on each other, but now she can't even do that. Um, and now that they live in Moab, Naomi's two sons, they take Mo Moabite wives for themselves, Orpah and Ruth. And I, I'm kind of reading into the text here because it's not explicit, but I would imagine that Naomi might not have been thrilled about this, at least in the beginning, um, as Naomi knew that um, the Lord commands uh, the Israelites to not intermarry with, with foreigners. And um, so, so she might not have been thrilled about that at the beginning, uh, but again, right? God was working. God was working even in those boys choosing foreign women. Okay, and, and this is why this is such a hopeful passage, because God can work even in our decisions that are straight out disobedience sometimes. I mean, he will fulfill his purposes. Um, I'm not saying that that's what he desires, uh, he, but he will, our disobedience will not thwart his plans. I'll put it that way. Our, our yes, we, we will not thwart his purposes. Um, so the dark season appears to be getting even darker. They're in Moab for 10 years, it says, and her sons and daughter-in-laws are not able to have children, so she has no future heritage and grandchildren. And then her sons die. So Naomi might be asking the question, where is God in all of this suffering and pain? The point is that it's not too difficult to understand Naomi's perspective where she verbalizes in verse 13, which we'll see in a, in a little bit here, um, when she says, the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And as much as we want to just talk to the pages and say, hey, Naomi, remember the story of Joseph? Don't you remember how in those dark times that looked like earthly setbacks, they were just God setting things up for something great? Uh, we want to tell Naomi, Remember the faith of Abraham in the dark times. Remember the faith of Moses in the dark times. So in summary of section one, bad to worse. There's been famine, 
I've moved to Moab, the death of Naomi's husband, the marriage of her sons to foreign wives, no offspring, and the death of her sons. Tragedy upon tragedy. Now we move to the second portion here, the turning point. And I'm going to get my glasses because it's really hard to read. Okay. Um, I'm going to read most of the rest of the chapter here now. So starting in verse 16, we're going to go through um, verse 21. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And Ruth said, See, uh, and Naomi said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi, when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? Now, I looked this up just to see, because at first I was thinking, oh, they moved away to a foreign land, you know, like, you know, if we moved over to Europe or something, but it really wasn't like that. Moab was only about 90 miles from Bethlehem. So, you might wonder why she didn't return to Bethlehem before now. Uh, you know, she was there for 10 years. But I think the answer to that was being driven just by a simple, pragmatic decision. Who will feed me and my family? And in verse 6, it states that Naomi had heard that the Lord had visited his people in the land of Judah and given them food. So that was the spark that caused her to return home. And, you know, she was not making that move until she heard that, um, obviously. So what can we learn from this section? Well, when you see Naomi verbalize her bitterness to Orpah and Ruth, 
your first thought might be, what an awful testimony. Why would Ruth want Naomi's God to be her God? Well, this is my take on this. I, I've been <clears throat> thinking about this for the last couple of weeks. Um, even though we may verbalize things that don't exactly put a great light on our God to those around us, and sometimes our, our behavior or our, our actual words or our attitudes um, don't, don't put our God in a, in a great light um, when we're weak in faith, um, especially around unsaved family and friends. Our life of faithfulness over the long haul is a greater testimony to people around us than we will ever know. And, and I think that's something that we, we really don't know the impact that that has on people, just living a life of faithfulness to God for the long haul, even though we have peaks and valleys, and, and, and there's times that our testimony is not as strong as we would want it to be. Now, of course, God's not calling us to be hypocrites for the long haul. Um, but there are times that uh, our faith will be weak and, um, and, and our testimony will not be as strong as we want it to be. And um, I think in this situation, Ruth and Orpah saw Naomi deal with tragedy after tragedy, and though she felt like the hand of God was against her, she did not chuck her faith in God. Um, they did not see her say, hey, I'm done with, I'm done with the God of Israel. I think I'll try some of your gods down here in Moab. They didn't see her do that, not at all. But rather after 10 long years of these girls knowing her tragic stories, um, she recognized that the Lord was the one who broke the famine and opened the way home. Um, Naomi recognized that. And so we also see that she prayed for the Lord's blessings on Orpah and Ruth, um, we saw in the passage here. So, I mean, to say something about Naomi, we can say that her faith was real. We can say that it was authentic. And I would say it demonstrated that there was a relationship between Naomi and her God. And I think Orpah and Ruth recognized that. And, and, and that was appealing to them. Perhaps Ruth more so than Orpah in the end. Um, God knows our frailties, and he knows our weaknesses, and he knows when we are struggling in faith, but he certainly responds to faithfulness. Were there shortcomings in Naomi's faith? Yes. I mean, I think in some ways her bitterness caused her to be blind to some of the mercies of God working in her life, uh, even throughout the tragedies. For example, um, she knew the customs of marriage, and that's why she went into detail explaining to Orpah and Ruth, you know, hey, I don't have any more children for you to marry, and, and if I get married to another child, are you going to wait around for that? But what she didn't remember was that um, God had preserved a kinsman, Boaz, back in her country, who could potentially continue Naomi's and Elimelech's line. Um, so she didn't remember that, but yet, as we're going to see in chapter 2, that Naomi says these words, she says, Boaz was a, quote, close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Well, you would think that she would remember a close relative of hers. But, um, but I think that she was in such despair that her focus on her bitterness caused her to be blind to that reality. 
She was also blind to the blessings right in front of her. Orpah and Ruth desired to return to Bethlehem with her, but it was like Naomi's determination to deter Orpah was strong enough, perhaps convincing Orpah that she too would end up with a bitter life, which is really sad because um, if Orpah had returned, she could have become welcomed um, with God's people would have welcomed her because they were commanded to treat foreigners kindly um, from the law. Um, that's what makes Ruth's commitment and loyalty even more amazing because in spite of Naomi's impassioned speech to throw shade on what Ruth's life would be like, again, due to Naomi's lack of faith in the goodness of God, Ruth is all the more passionate about returning with Naomi. And um, Ruth had come to trust in Naomi's God despite uh, Naomi's bitter experiences. And that's why it's, it's pretty astounding. Um, you know, Ruth, Naomi did not have a strong faith at the time, but Ruth had eyes of faith. She, she appeared to see beyond the present bitter setbacks. And uh, while Naomi painted the future uh, as black, uh, Ruth was willing to take her hand and, and walk into that into that future. Um, and, and if you think about it, you know, um, a lot of times uh, our hard and dark and difficult circumstances go hand in hand with unfulfilled expectations. And, um, and I'll talk about that in a second here, but I think what made Ruth so free from the securities and comforts of the world was that she had counted the cost and she did not um, walk into it with any expectations at all um, that could end up being unfulfilled. She knew that she would never return home. She understood that she would live a life of widowhood and childlessness. She understood that she would be a foreigner in an unknown land, maybe be pretty lonely, but God had other plans. And so with just not having a bunch of expectations that could become unfulfilled, um, then it, it just freed her to, to um, not be set up for despair and, and discouragement. Um, so I think the application is God is teaching us that he is at work in the midst of seemingly unimportant events and painful events. And, um, but when you think of these dark times, difficult times, when I talk about they go hand in hand with unfulfilled expectations, it was true for Naomi. Um, you know, she wasn't expecting, she was probably expecting to live a long life with her husband. She was probably expecting to be a grandmother. Um, she probably wasn't expecting to ever move away from Bethlehem. And, and all these things were, were unfulfilled. And um, it, it can happen in our lives, right? Because we're expecting to have a relationship with someone close to us for many years on this earth. And then suddenly they're gone. Or we envision certain paths for our children, but they have a crisis of faith and wander away from the Lord. Or we expect to be married and live happily ever after, and it's not quite going as we expect it to go. Or we expect to, to have children, but God, the giver of life, is not, is not opening the room for some. So what is our response? Um... Well, as you see, when she came back and the women asked her, oh, hey, is that you, Naomi? She's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me bitterness. The Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. How are you typifying Naomi's response? Um, I think if anything, you could say it was real. Um, it was honest. Um, but I don't know if she believed that God was still at work in her life to bring about his glory and his purposes for her good. And, and you'll hear that phrase a lot. You hear it from up here in the pulpit. God is working for his glory and for our good. And um, so this week, I was just thinking, it's not too hard to believe that God is working for his glory. But it's not always easy to believe that he's working for our good. And um, so I just had to remind myself of that this week. And I was like, why does it say that? Where does it say he's working for our good? So <laughs> I literally looked it up and, of course, it comes back to Romans 8, 28. Um, and if you look at the whole chapter, that portion of Romans 8, it's in the context of suffering and trials, which, I don't know, they must have never put two and two together. So I'm going to read Romans 8, 18 through 28 to show you where Paul is talking about. <clears throat> he says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And here's where verse 28 comes in. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So, again, in the context of, of suffering and trials, God is working things all together for our good um, and according to his purpose. Um, Psalm 27, 13, this is a key verse that I was thinking about all week as well. And I, this is something that you just, it'd be a good one to memorize. Um, Psalm 27, verse 13 and 14 says, the psalmist says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Now, I, I know waiting is hard for us. Naomi had been waiting for at least 10 years. And, and to us, I mean, I don't think we think in terms of waiting a year. You know, this COVID thing is, is is almost, it's just wearing people out. It's only been like a year and a half. Um, but she had two daughter-in-laws that loved her and were very kind to her throughout those 10 years. 
And sometimes the only thing we have to cling to is God's character in hard times. And this was the key to Joseph's hope. And Naomi seems to have forgotten the story of Joseph. We have to cling to his character and his sovereign authority when you can't see his goodness in a situation. Um, it's not much different than kids with parents. I mean, typically parents are making decisions in the best interests of their children, but the children don't, they don't see the big picture that the parents are trying to, to work. The parents are trying to work something out to where the kids are flourish, their lives flourish, but the kids don't see it. So, so they are like, what's going on here and why, and why do I have to do this? And, um, but those kids, at those moments, they need to cling to the character of their parents, knowing that their parents love them and cling to their parents' authority in their lives. And uh, for just a sliver of what God's character is, I just wanted to quickly share three quick verses. Lamentations 3.23, His mercies are new every morning. That's a fact. Um, Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up to show you compassion. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. And then Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. Finally, we come to the third session, from bad to blessed, which is just the last verse, verse 22. It says this, So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This verse is not just irrelevant details. The story began with a famine in Bethlehem, that led to Moab. And then tragedy upon tragedy happened, and, and we get to the middle section where we're just focusing on um, Naomi and her daughter-in-laws providing food for themselves. Now the story is going to end with plenty of food in Bethlehem. And in all of these fine details, God was working his plan to get Jesus' heritage to Bethlehem. So that in the time of Joseph and Mary, I don't know how many years later, I didn't calculate it. Uh, but in the time of Joseph and Mary, a census would be taken, and Joseph would have to return to Bethlehem, and behold, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And um, and do you know, this is the part that I learned this week, never knew. Do you know what the Hebrew meaning of Bethlehem is? It means house of bread. Um, so they left the house of bread to go find food in Moab, and they came back to the house of bread. And, and it's, it's not coincidence that they came back to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So track with me here. In God's sovereignty, in working through the decisions and tragic circumstances of people, God is able to have Ruth end up in Bethlehem, where she marries Boaz, and they have a son named Obed, who has a son named Jesse, who has a son named David, 
And who do we know is called the son of David? Jesus, who is also the bread of life, who was born in a town called the house of bread, where once there was a famine, but then God provided for Naomi and Ruth, and years later God provided the bread of life for the whole world. My final thoughts are, what if Naomi could have opened her eyes of faith to Ruth and understood what a gift she was, what a blessing, <laughs> that God was actually giving her a blessing, right? But she sized it up as, the Lord has brought me back empty. Um, it's so far from, from the reality, right, of, of the true picture of what God was doing. Um, she was so weary with the darkness of the adversity that she despaired in believing the goodness of God, unlike the psalmist said. Um, what would she say if she could see that in Ruth she would gain a grandson that would be the grandfather to the greatest king of Israel, and that that king of Israel would foreshadow the king of kings, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Um, it's interesting, but I mean... Naomi probably knows this now, but she didn't know it then. Um, may God work in us a faith that can inspire and encourage others. And may we see with eyes of faith in the dark times. I wanted to just end with a story <clears throat> real quick. When I started working at Honeywell in, in 2000, um, I met an inspector there named Helen. And uh, she was, this lady was probably in her mid-40s when I met her, and uh, she was a believer, and we would, we would talk about the Lord every time you know, I had an interaction with her, uh, but she also told me how much she wanted to be married. She had never been married, and she was like, um, Andy, God's got someone for me out there. I know it. I just know it. I'm praying. I'm, I pray for that future husband, you know, every day. Um... She also, uh, on the side, baked wedding cakes for people. So you can imagine um, how difficult that would be to be involved in so many other people's weddings while waiting for her own. You know, always the baker, never the bride. <laughs> uh, but her faith inspired me. And uh, sure enough, God brought a man into her life that she described as so much more that she could ever have imagined, and she was married probably about seven years ago. So just like the psalmist said in Psalm 27, she did not despair that she would see the goodness of God in the living, in the land of the living. She waited on the Lord, and her heart took courage in Him. Let's close a prayer. Holy Father, just thank you that uh, that we can have hope in. And you gave us the scriptures so we could learn from them and have hope. And God, may you remind us of, of this story, of these things, of what you did in Naomi's life, even in the midst of tragedy upon tragedy upon tragedy, God, um, as we, as some might be in the middle of very difficult circumstances right now, as we can't say for sure. They could get go from bad to worse, God. But God, I pray that this message and, and, 
and your character, your sovereignty would be an encouragement to everyone in this room to lean on God when, when we are facing those difficult times. So God, just please bring these things to our minds, God, when we, um, when we are weak in faith, when we are frail, when we are struggling. In Jesus' name, amen.